0: I don't see Shaggy and Scooby anywhere. The poor guys are probably running around helpless and terrified. This is like the
1: greatest day of our lives, Scoob. Finally, a monster we can sink our teeth into. You know, Scoob, I'm kind of thirsty. I wonder if there's a liter-sized soda glob anywhere.
0: Come on, guys. We have to hurry. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of a podcast named Scooby-Doo. This is a special episode, something that we hinted at a couple of years ago when we did the scooby doo anniversary for the 15th anniversary of the original live-action Scooby-Doo film. We promised, swore, threatened that we would come back in a couple of years to do the sequel, Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed, and that's what we're doing. And by we, I mean uh, the usual suspects here, fellow podcasters in the Scooby-Doo podcast universe, Nick Rose. from what's with you scooby-doo hi and from the other side of the internet we have billy seaguire co-host of scooby-doos or scooby don'ts hello (laughs) (laughs) so for anybody who may have been paying attention what is it about a dozen episodes ago we're sorry Billy, Nick, and I, we sat down for pretty much the running length of the original film and we talked about our thoughts on the movie, how it tied into the franchise, what it meant for the franchise, and we wrote Nick pretty hard about his uh, lackluster health care.
2: Yeah. Which, yeah. I don't, which I don't I'm think has changed that much. That's still,
0: nope. That's going to continue. So the film came out originally March 26, thousand and four. It was budgeted at about twenty-five million. It raked in 181.5 million. I'm honestly not sure why it didn't get a sequel, because kind of kicked it in the ass at the box office. I do Scooby-Doo know Scooby-Do 3? Is that what you're looking for? Why it didn't get a sequel? This is the sequel. Yeah, why <laughs> didn't Scooby Two get a threequel? A sequel. Another sequel to a the ZQ. Thank God. God. You <laughs> Okay. A squeakel, if you will. <laughs> ah! I will. Thank you. This is Nick getting back at us for last time, Billy.
1: <laughs> no, this is me being confused perpetually. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, wow, there's a place on Wikipedia that tells you why the third film got cancelled. But it did gangbusters. It said that it didn't do as well as expected. Wait. That's so weird, because it made like... Um, a hundred and... Uh, like, 181 million off of a 25 million budget. Jesus!
3: Yeah, that that's a profit. Although but you never know
0: how much they spent on the marketing On Sarah Michelle Geller. And like you gotta you gotta factor
3: in the, the cost of that PC game, of the Game Boy Advance game that ties into
0: this. Very true. Maybe Good. those didn't sell as well.
3: Good pull bro. Good pull. I've played them both.
0: And and if anybody wants some opinions on those games, where can they find that, Billy?
1: They can,
3: yeah, can put a pin in
0: that. We're going to yeah. get to that later. Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> so the movie opens out with a generic scary music.
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Pretty much everybody returns for this one uh, Roger Gosnell's is directing, James Gunn is writing, all the cast is back, uh, David Newman doing the score again. Not sure. About... Is that a Newman brother? No. So he's not Randy Newman's brother? I would almost want to hear that. I would almost <laughs> want to hear a Randy Newman Scooby thing.
1: Here's the thing. I saw that credit pull up at the beginning of the movie where it was like, and, you know, whatever, David Newman, whatever the fuck his name is, and I was like, oh, he has to be a Randy Newman relative, and then I spent the rest of the movie obsessing about an episode that was either written by Randy Newman, because uh, Randy Newman co-wrote Three Amigos, or... Featuring Randy Newman, a la new Scooby-Doo movies, and I was like, "That would be the greatest thing ever!" <laughs> Guys, why are we hanging out in this abandoned warehouse? <laughs> Randy, look <laughs> you're, out! You're
3: Randy Newman oh is no! <laughs>
2: but that's what he sounds like. <laughs> okay.
0: Since, oh no! <laughs> since we're kind of stuck in this David Newman groove, yeah. <laughs> It it touches on a point that I, I wanted to make at some point during the conversation, and that is, did anybody else get like a Danny Elfman sort of Bertonian vibe off of the music in this film? Because it had that sort of choral element to it, and the, you know, da 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 kind of thing.
1: So, my first thought was, I wrote, th- my notes literally go, oh my god, it's like the... Uh, Mario level is coming to an end, (laughs) period, Danny Elfman, (laughs) because that that opening credits where that we're swooping over this like waterfront, Mm -hmm. which is straight up and like uh, vaguely. What did I say here? I said uh, generic scary music intro over waterfront. Same opening as Casper and Halloween Town. Pretty much. I don't a know. A lighthearted if version translates. of
3: The Crow. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, okay. And then all of a sudden the stakes Delphine rise. In Coolsville. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it becomes like. Bada, 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 bada.
0: That's not to say that I, I don't enjoy the music. I actually like the score. But, yeah! But especially when combined with like the production design of Bill Bowes, who has worked with Burton on several films. I, I don't, it shows I mean when you look at the when you look at the monster hive when you look at the Wickles mansion like I don't know there's a very I get a very Burton Burton Elfman vibe yeah. off of this thing
2: I can
3: see that and it is it is I think the production design mixed with lighting uh, and I say that specifically because I feel like the lighting in this movie just eliminates any sense of horror or tension that might be in it and I mean properly because it's scooby-doo 2 not a legitimate horror movie but i think burton does that same thing as well like he he covers
1: spooky we're super lit you can see everything there exactly.
0: is not a hint of jaroscuro from here to timbuktu in this movie but there's still more atmosphere in this movie than there was in the original I don't
1: think there's a, a single fucking shadow in this movie, except when <laughs>
0: Seth Green is faced away from the camera. See, I defy you, sir, because I know for a fact, in watching an interview with Bill Bowes, he commented that when you look at those original 1969 Scooby-Doo backgrounds, they painted the shadows on those backgrounds. And he said, to honor that, we painted shadows in our set. <laughs> Aww, okay, That's, <laughs> that's adorable. Yeah, but, but
3: you could have also done that with light. Yes, you could.
1: (laughs) Oh, Painting with Light? Was Thomas Kincaid also in the art team? (laughs) That's a niche reference. I apologize.
0: Conrad Hall was busy. (laughs) Uh, Are we moving chronologically through this? Oh, absolutely not. We didn't do that last time. I feel no bones.
1: All right, done. (laughs) Then I'll follow the crowd.
0: Well, we just got stuck on the David Newman thing. Or you got started on the David Newman thing, and I just ran with it. We all have notes. I have some Mm -hmm. discussion questions. Uh, We can can all randomly just throw out discussion questions and see where it takes us, or throw out notes. We could take turns.
3: You're the moderator. Yeah, this is... We're on your program today.
1: Program.
0: So we'll kick it off by doing a little bit of a round-robin here, talking about where we saw the movie for the first time, what we thought of the movie, how we feel about the movie, and then we will dive in like the Hungry Jackals that we are. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so who wants to start? Who wants to start talking about this one?
3: I can start here. I definitely saw this movie for the first time by starting it midway through on the Movie Network one day. So as a TV movie... Is this a Canadian thing? The yes, Movie Network? The Movie Network.
1: TMN?
3: It's, it's literally just like a, a Bell Channel... Once it goes off the pay-per-view, it's like they just throw movies on there for a little while. Wait, wait. you guys still have pay-per-view? Nick, the movie came out in 2004. There's a past here. Ah, okay, all right. So, like, I probably saw it sometime in, like, 2005, 2006. Really, uh, probably mostly background, the one scene I've always remembered from this movie... Was Fred tying his ascot? Like right at the before the jest? Yeah, right before the Black Knight joust. So that's the scene underneath the helmet. Yeah, he just mm. he pulls out that ascot and he ties it around his neck and he's like, "Fred's here." And uh,
0: then so then
3: I, I put a lot of expectations for five minutes <laughs> on that scene. You're <laughs> nice. right, and it, it, it is not earned and it is not paid off. But that scene in isolation. How's that was it?
1: that was the uh, working title of this movie. Nothing is earned and nothing is paid off.
0: <laughs> and then they changed it to Monsters Unleashed. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so Nick, where did you see first this movie?
1: I first watched it today, about uh, <laughs> uh, ten minutes before we started
0: recording. That blew me away when we first started talking about this, and Nick's like, "Oh, I should probably watch the movie." <laughs>
1: Yeah, never seen it. Uh, I also haven't seen a lot of the puppet movies, uh, and I have not seen
0: like just puppet movies in general. Or
1: no, I've (laughs) seen a lot of puppet movies uh, as the as the conversation will uh, uh, tell us later on. But uh, I have not seen the Scooby Doo puppet movies uh, as well as uh, there's an origin movie, right? That's like uh, mystery begins. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen that one either. Uh, after these first two Scooby-Doo movies,
3: there are, like, three other live-action movies. Three? If you count Daphne yeah, and I'm, Belly, I'm, yeah.
0: I'm, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, ah! Okay, yeah, yeah. But the mystery begins and the... Mystery ends. No. <laughs> Lake Monster? First of the Lake, Lake monster, monster, yeah.
2: That's
0: it. I think, yeah! I think you're supposed to treat those as, like, prequels to these, because it's when they first... Start hanging out together in like high school.
1: Okay, but it takes place in Coolsville, right? So, what's new should technically be part of this continuity because what's
3: new is in continuity with a pup named Scooby Doo, which was definitely which is Coolsville. Coolsville.
1: Okay,
0: okay, this this is where I come in.
1: <laughs> this is typically my my part. This is what I do.
0: It dry, I mean, I know, I know. There's people who love doing it. But it drives me nuts when people try and, like, mash everything together into a single continuum. It's like, you can't do it. It can't be done. I
3: think Scooby-Doo should run on the same uh, philosophy as Doctor Who, in that everything is canon, especially what contradicts itself.
1: Oh, I always think James Bond. But I will say that what's new, is there anything that contradicts these movies? They do share a simple plan. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Which is the ultimate unifying factor for humanity. Uh, I think
3: this movie does take cues from What's New Scooby-Doo, oh, specifically where uh, Daphne has her MacGyver moment in getting out of the cage. That's mm. uh, If only she had a green purse, it would absolutely be a What's New
1: Scooby-Doo moment. Especially with the makeup.
0: Okay, we're talking about we're, we're, we're talking about the movie now, guys. <laughs> oh shit! I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, speaking of
3: the movie, uh, Mike, when did you first see this film?
0: Uh, I actually saw it in 2004. I went to the theater with uh, my kids. I'm glad I did because, as innocuous as it is, there's something that got cut out of this movie that has not appeared. Can I pause
1: you right there? Yeah. I need to know how responsible a parent you are. Just by asking, how old were your kids at the time?
0: My youngest was born in 2001, so three, five, and seven, yeah. Three? (laughs) You took a three-year-old to this movie? I can't remember if my son was at the movie. He might not have been, but probably three. It's very possible. Three years old to this movie? Hey, my daughter, my oldest daughter, was two years old and... She saw, like, Phantom Menace in the theater four times. In
1: the theater? You are the best parent ever.
3: By
0: her choice. Like, she wanted to go see it again and again. And people were like...
1: Really love Jar Jar.
0: She actually super dug Jar Jar. Yes! As she (laughs) should! As a child! Yeah. Because he is the best! (laughs)
1: For a child!
3: (laughs) As an adult, I appreciate him as a Lear's fool archetype, but...
0: You know, his his day started off with a uh, nice brisky morning munching, and uh, things just went crazy from there, so... But anyways,
1: you uh, <laughs> you brought your children to this.
0: And I'm glad I saw it in the theater, because as innocuous as it ultimately is, there was something that was in the film, theatrically, that has not appeared again in any other version of this movie.
1: The Twin Towers. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And the octopus monster that appears at the end. (laughs) Or the squid monster. And uh, and we'll get to that later. I'll put a pin in that and we'll come back to that. But yeah, I saw it in the theater and I guess I'll be the first one to start with the feelings about it. I liked it. I actually, when I saw it, I thought, I wish this was the first movie. Because the first movie didn't have a lot of familiar stuff in it. It was like, here are the characters. And they sort of deconstructed the characters Mm -hmm. a little bit. Fucked around with them a little bit, but this was this movie had like the, the creatures that you knew, and it was the characters that you knew, and it played with the continuity or or the the lore, for lack of a better word, I guess. And I dug that more. As time has gone on, I still prefer this one to the first. It's
3: definitely the movie that is geared more towards lore heads. You are going to be excited because you see things that you recognize.
0: Sorry, I, I, I want to say Loreheads was actually the original name that David Byrne came up with. <laughs> <laughs> they went with Talking Heads instead. Sorry, Billy. Really. How did I get here? <laughs> this isn't my beautiful wife.
1: <laughs> this isn't my beautiful sandwich. This isn't pastrami on rye.
3: <laughs> like as the days go by.
0: Sorry, Billy. You were saying this is the movie for Lordheads.
3: Yeah, but I—I I mean, I would argue
0: it doesn't really
3: do much with the characters. Like overall in Scooby Doo Two, what's the theme of the film?
0: I think there was more there, which we will discuss.
1: I would also say, uh, as far as uh, lore is concerned. There is, there's a line that they are uh, treading between what the original Scooby Doo was and trying to like bring it into uh, like a new century, mm-hmm. and they're 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 trying to like plod this line, and I'm going to say it. They fucking miss the mark ninety <laughs> percent of the time. Yeah, I, I'm not gonna say that that's bad. Like, uh, like I enjoyed watching it, but like, I mean, like looking at these things, like the Minor 49er or uh, the uh, the uh, uh, the, uh the Creeper. At one point, the there, Creeper you're, is you're unrecognizable. The, the Creeper costume, and it took me a minute where I was like. Holy fuck that's the creeper. And it, it was like it was uh it was such an interesting thing of paying fan service but also trying to be like it it gave me such uh, uh a flashback to watching that goddamn first X-Men movie and being like, oh, my God, this is Wolverine. You know what I'm saying? And he's like, what do you want me to wear yellow spandex? And I was like, yes, yes that, that's what we want. That's what
0: we're asking for. But 15 years ago, these characters weren't as kind of entrenched in their archetypes as they are now. I mean, Warner Brothers has really leaned into it since What's New Scooby-Doo, where they mm-hmm. this kind of brought back that 69 Scooby with the gang. Because remember how the gang was broken up and all the weird shit that they've had them do, doing the, you know, monsters are real and monsters aren't real and let's stick them in a computer and aliens or whatever. And like <laughs> a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff has happened and it hasn't been sort of consistent ever since 2004. The Scooby-Doo brand has been a lot more consistent and the characters are a lot more see i'm i'm going to argue forward.
3: against you here mike and i think this is where i'm going to pull the card of watching these episodes chronologically and that's that even from that mm. perspective
0: i know right billy's always going to pull <laughs> that one from out perspective, <laughs> specifically daphne pardon and me fred. sir
3: but
1: if you watch these episodes chronologically
3: daphne and fred are so far off of any interpretation before. Yes. And
0: to come. Oh, but that's what I'm saying. But that's what I'm saying. It was they were playing a lot faster and looser. I think now they would be more locked down by Warner Brothers to be like, "No, Fred has to be the steadfast nice guy." Total he toxic masculinity. This, like,
1: I would say that this is the only version to do that because I feel like either he is a uh, non-entity, like he's just he's just Frank Welker reading lines, which somehow becomes a character. Like if you have like the barest lines ever, and Frank Welker reads them as Fred, it becomes a character. Yeah, or uh, it's like dad <laughs> joke like uh like a, a majority of the direct-to-video movies is like there were direct direct-to-video movies in the Coolsville continuity is like uh uh dad joke fred where he's he's like um w- w- well uh uh what are we going to do over here uh, oh oh my like he has that kind of like dad jokey quality mm-hmm. this is the only iteration of fred of like hey I'm in charge, and I need to do this. You think of even like a Curse of the 13th Ghost, where where he's like, oh, typically I'm the leader, and I'm no longer the leader. <laughs> he's, oh, just, he's flustered at most. What do I, yeah, what do I do? He's not like, fuck you, bitch, I'm the leader. <laughs>
0: This is totally something that I wanted to discuss, because while watching the movie this time, I was noticing you know those moments where like Shaggy says, uh, let's split up and look for clues, and he's like, he said that thing that I'm supposed to say. Mm-hmm. The friends seem very protective of their roles, and like you said, if Shaggy did this in any of the animated iterations, Fred would he be had, a little Shaggy bit has off, tried he to pick
3: just... up and be a, a detective, a leader in the cartoon,
0: and it's had a totally different reaction. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because Fred totally wasn't there. (laughs) But I think they were reacting. These characters are caricatures of what people think the characters are supposed to be. And they're acting and reacting to what that shape of that character, like the perception of that character is.
1: James Gunn is writing the jokes that we've all heard for 30 years. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It's the same fucking joke that was in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. And uh, 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 the Scooby-Doo project and everything that we've heard. Oh, uh, Shaggy's the stoner, you know.
0: And I read something from James Gunn recently where he was talking about the tweets that he made in the past, and he said, you know, I went towards jokes that were provocative and inappropriate because he thought that was cool and edgy. And, I mean, this is the time where he would have been writing movies like Scooby-Doo and Scooby-Doo 2. I kind of feel like, in his mind, he was probably thinking, that's how we make these characters relevant. Shaggy throughout this whole movie is having this existential crisis, that's not Shaggy. Shaggy is more confident than that, and the friendship of these five is a lot stronger than either of these films portray them. They seem way more fragile as a unit. Uh, I don't know if I necessarily a-
3: agree with that, because like Shaggy at least having some sort of little crisis, like, my problem with it isn't even necessarily the fact that it's so off of what it normally is in Scooby-Doo, but it's the fact that like none of these characters have an arc. Like, none of these characters really have something that they're going through in the film other than wacky adventure sequences. Billy,
1: I fucking love you so much, but I need to just interject really quickly and say, are you fucking kidding me? Because there is literally a moment in the fucking denouement of this picture where everybody... Literally, everybody goes through the emotional arc that they've had in this movie <laughs> verbatim and says, like, oh, I was having such a hard time <laughs> realizing that all along I was a hero. Oh, If only I could... You are a hero, because you are... Did you not realize this entire time? Oh my god, you're so right. Now I'm going to jump on this trampoline and realize my potential this whole
3: time. Maybe it's the fact, then, that for me, it, it's, it's not well written. Yeah. <laughs> it, like, the arcs aren't done effectively. Like, jumping yes! on a trampoline is
1: not a way to actually move But James But James Gunn read the fucking yeah. Chris Vogler book and, like, fucking drew a circle and went through and was like, oh no. Uh, Shaggy feels like... He- Shaggy and Scooby don't feel like they're part of the group. How do I get them to feel like they're part of the group? Oh my god. the uh, All of them feel like they're fucking uh, 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 fakes? How do I make them not feel like they're fakes? This was textbook uh, like just Joseph Campbell Hero's Journey bullshit. And, and I see
3: that too but it's just so on effect. <laughs> yeah, agreed.
0: Yes. Yes. I wouldn't even necessarily say it was badly written. I think it was badly edited. I think sure. there was a lot of stuff cut out of this movie. I think there was a lot of story stuff. I would love to see the script. Yes. I'm currently looking yeah. for a copy of the script. And there's just there's too much. Velma having her moment with Shaggy at the end that Nick was talking about, where she's like, oh, I've always admired you guys because you're okay being who you are, whereas I'm kind of trying to be something else. And mm-hmm. you've got Fred, who does the talkings for wimps, and you've got Daphne, who is constantly being told by alicia silverstone that she doesn't contribute anything to the group like everybody has their existential crisis in this movie it gets resolved in the end but you don't see the daphne track very fully you don't see the film no. track at all you see very little of the velma track and you mostly see the shaggy track and i think that is studio or possibly
2: yeah, director yeah
0: it's 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 so bizarre i think there's like 15 or 20 minutes more to this movie that we didn't see god
1: when we just solved mysteries for the love of it that was the time when we weren't proving anything to anybody else oh yeah we get
0: it (laughs) thank you why are why is this being spelled out I feel like the way the gang has been structured in both films, it's a very stratified friendship.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like Absolutely. how many and times? And that
3: worked in the last one because that's what you were addressing for the the
0: runtime of the film. Barely. How many times have like? I'm. I'm uh, mind you, I haven't watched all the episodes chronologically, but.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sick burn, bro. Hey,
0: you you are going on. <laughs> about how the characters had changed over time. That's my wheelhouse. No, I wasn't talking about how they've changed over time. I was saying that at this time, the archetypes weren't as set. Because for like a decade leading up to this film, uh, two decades leading up to this film, there was a lot more play going on. People were just like, well, what kind of show do we want? And then they would just plop the characters into them because it was more name recognition than... Well, this is the role this character plays, and this is the role this character plays. Mm. But mm. in in no iteration of the show can I remember, you know, barring me not watching them all chronologically, Fred literally, like, denigrating Shaggy and Scooby to their faces. Yeah, no, never. He never would. Well,
1: okay, so here's, here's my uh, ten cents for that. Yeah. I said ten cents, not two cents. This is going to be more valuable. Uh, I just recently watched. Uh, check out what uh, What's with Your Scooby Doo? For uh, me and my buddy, Krister talking about the uh, uh, Television Academy Sciences interview with Joe Barbera. It, Joe Barbera talking about Scooby Doo. He's he literally like goes into a moment where he's like, you know, if uh, this is in '97, he's like. If uh, Scooby Doo ever comes back, you know I got tons of ideas. You know, uh, like uh, why not uh, Scooby Doo? uh, You know, uh, all the gang they go to, they get to go to Woodstock, right? They go into Woodstock, right? But all the zombies there, right? (laughs) How great is that? (laughs) Like they're dealing with zombies. Like they're a band, but like they're dealing with zombies. How great is that? Like that. Forgot they were (laughs) to That to me somehow is. What makes Scooby Doo so great is that there is a non specificity to the characters, and I would uh, credit uh, EWO. I never pronounce it right. Ewo. Great. Just Ewo. With, uh, with, you know, just creating these designs that somehow we clinched these weird ass archetypes onto. Like, these characters aren't Anna Krenina or, like, you know, Thomas Mann. Like, they're not three-dimensional. They're beautifully two-dimensional. And that gives them their ultimate charm, given these characterizations by these actors. And over years, they've become, like, uh, these, these zeitgeist Uh, A phenomenon and then when you start putting these weird relationships onto them when you start putting them into the real world it loses its charm these are the jokes that we've been making since the 80s but nobody dared to put it on screen because once you do it it loses its charm because it wasn't meant to exist in the real world once you put it in the real world it's like yeah uh, okay it
0: doesn't exist. Great job. It's like you were saying, Nick. These are the characters living up to the the jokes that we've been making for years leading up to James Gunn sitting down or writing these movies. Because while Fred has never really been characterized as a jock, mm-hmm. everyone says Fred's the jock, Ever. right? Mm-hmm. So how will the jock treat the stoner, right? Right. The jock is going to go for the pretty girl, and the pretty girl is going to want to be more significant, and she will have the beauty stuff that she uses and the stoners are going to be dumb and they're going to screw things up and be clumsy and whatever. And then you've got like the nerdy brain, like he he leans into it so fully that these characters can't be anything but what they are.
1: Here's the note that I found that addressed this. I said that they ask us to play the logic game with the original series, but they also ask us to suspend disbelief for this movie in the same breath.
0: That's a really good. Yeah. I like that. Yeah,
1: that.
3: Works. I mean
0: I don't like the fact that they're doing that, but I like the phrasing of that cuz it's true. Yeah, we, in and trying to unproblem this movie that works. <laughs> <laughs> One of my big pet peeves is trying to logic out anything kind of Scooby related. I mean just it has a general absurdity to it and you have to ultimately the, the way that I accept these movies cuz I do enjoy them. And yes. like I, I had fun watching this movie. And I still prefer it over the first one, like I said. But I accept these characters as in the same way that Scooby Apocalypse is a very different version of Scooby. Those characters do not behave like the characters from Scooby Doo, Where Are You. But right. at their core, there's like a, a quintessential Fredness or Velmaness or daphniness you know, to those characters that makes them universal and you can kind of plop them into sort of, you know, whatever situation. As long as you don't betray that character at their core. So for this movie, this is the version of these characters. This is the universe that has this version of these characters. It doesn't blend with any other iteration of the franchise. They exist as these two, and that's it. And as long as I'm okay with that, like, then I can be okay with it. Anything else is just a much broader sort of analysis of the characters.
1: View to a kill versus Dr. Now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I Although, guess I
3: just wish that James Gunn was a better writer when he wrote this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he
0: was! He I, just couldn't <laughs> write this! But again, easy, cause I 15, 15 years, years ago, ago, this was clever as shit.
2: I don't know
3: I look I look at this now and the references that like come to my mind
1: are like why does it look like they operate out of the spy kids headquarters yes oh my god we can talk about the production design until the kids come home but uh, I will also say that um, as far as uh, James Gunn is concerned I've also thought about if this red like the first guardians of the galaxy movie and i was like that wouldn't work I, I could see like i could see a chris pratt
0: fred you guys do realize that sort of structurally and character arc wise there are
2: there <laughs> the are exact some very same movie. yeah cuz mm.
0: they're about family right they're about people from disparate kind of backgrounds and whatever who don't necessarily fit together choosing to be together
1: Mike, don't you know that there are three stories: <laughs> man versus man, man versus nature, man versus himself.
0: You can go masturbate to Joseph Campbell after the podcast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> They're all Shakespeare already did it. <laughs> uh, why is Alicia Silverstone a pushy reporter? When was Batman? Uh, when was that punk movie with Peter O'Toole and Joe Plownright? Oh, it was the same. It was two years before this. I found out.
0: <laughs> Sorry, that's that's Did one you of those moments, moments where like a thought happens and it comes to its conclusion without the involvement of anyone else, <laughs> and you just don't know what to do after it.
1: <laughs> that's my life. <laughs>
3: Yes, actually that's let, let Alicia Silverstone. Let's talk about some of the guest stars in this movie because they Who was the limo driver? Does anybody know? He seemed like somebody. Oh, he he absolutely was somebody. Who was he? Uh not Alan Arkin, nor was he a uh, fucking uh oh, uh I knew this when we covered it. Um
1: he also wasn't uh the dude from uh, Good Burger. <laughs>
2: Remember his name, and also Good Burger. He was in the
1: fucking God Abe Vigoda. Abe Vigoda, I think it's Abe Vigoda. It
3: Abe was Vigoda
2: not Abe was not Vigoda. the limo driver,
0: but it was an Abe Vigoda type. <laughs> I'd love to see that casting call. We're looking for an Abe Vigoda type.
1: Hi. <laughs> it's a it's a pleasure, sir. As
0: he gets the the candy spewed on him. Candy? You mean the milkshake? Okay. Milkshake. See, yes, I'm not in my version. It's like a Burger King milkshake.
1: By this point, I've watched this movie three hours ago for the first time.
0: But there are versions where there's like a KFC drink. Oh no shit! It was it was KFC
1: in what I watched. Okay, yeah, yeah. KFC did not happen in mine. Uh, I was actually uh, shocked when he said Burger King. Ooh, so we're we're watching a different
3: multiverse yeah, well, okay. here. Okay,
0: mm. you guys know the story, right? Nope. Tell us. And the audience. I actually, uh, I caught this from the, that groovy ScoopCast, Cats. Hey, shout out to Derek? And Shannon? Yeah,
3: that's oh. Derek and Shannon. <laughs> yeah.
0: Give they did people. the,
3: uh, If it's not, just dub over that. They mic. did the
0: legwork, and, uh, I guess Burger King was the original sponsor. They only advertised domestically, and when it went to Netflix, or streaming, because I, I suppose it's on iTunes or whatever as well... They were like, "Yeah, we don't want to be involved with that." And then KSC was coming in like, "We'll we'll get in on that action." So they like they digitally changed the cup, and they like the cup did look very green. Yeah, screened. and you still see
1: as opposed to the rest of
3: yeah. the movie. <laughs> Oh That was a huge point that I have written out to the <laughs> ballroom scene. Like, why did that need to be green screen? Could you not get all these extras in the room together? <laughs> Linda Cardellini and Seth Green are like, we will not work in the same room? <laughs> you will have to shoot okay, this us at This
0: is interesting to me because you guys must be watching it in high def and I'm watching it on DVD. Hmm. Maybe it comes off a little bit differently because it, it looks a lot smoother. The stuff that really stands out digitally is the actual, like, the monsters when they get I, unleashed.
1: I did watch it in 1080. So... iTunes so is 1080. Be...
3: Yeah, I I was off of YouTube, so I think I was HD as well.
1: Yeah, so uh, DVD would be 720, right? 720i. Uh, yeah. 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 I'm in 1080p, <laughs> right? <laughs> Nerd talk. Um... Black rear on mustery. mystery machine. Oh, why? Why was there black coming out of the uh, gas tank? Is it diesel? I don't know. There was a weird. There was a weird uh, uh, detail on the mystery machine where there was just like these black, uh, black elements for no fucking reason. I've never seen that on the mystery machine before. Date law on the maybe. back of
0: the mystery machine. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, Uh, so, like, coming down from the gas tank and parallel to the other side, there was, like, a detail of, like, a weird black thing that went down to the bumper and uh, curved up for no reason. Because typically, the Mystery Machine, uh, it's a continuous line from the um, uh, door that goes all the way down, and you'll get the green thing up top where uh, Mystery machine is located. Mm -hmm. And then it's blue on the bottom, and then you'll get the bumper, and then that's continuous. But for some odd reason, there was a black thing and orange. I don't know why that happened. Below the headlight. Yeah. It was a weird weird, uh, design choice, Mm -hmm. I felt. In general, there were a lot of weird uh, choices in this. Uh, This movie was insanely over sound designed.
0: Oh, yeah. Although... In in yeah. one respect, there was a, a rattling sound throughout the movie, and I was trying to figure out what the hell it was. And I thought maybe it was the the couch I was sitting on squeaking or rattling, or somebody <laughs> outside uh, my room. It was, it was. You had your blue microphone. It was in. Scooby's collar.
2: They, they oh, literally they put, they put that, that sound
0: in? in through the whole movie. Every time Scooby <sighs> moves, there's a little bit of a like jingling sound. It's distracting, but also I kind of respect Why? the effort. Yes. <laughs> no. No,
1: I don't respect the effort because th- the person I respect is the person who spent all the time on Darth Vader, who is like <laughs> Because it's inconsistent and amazing. That's an amazing sound design. This, it's like every time her leather moves, when it's not a joke, they still have it in. Uh, there were like so many needless moments of just like,
2: <laughs>
1: like I was like,
2: why there, is there were this a here? lot
1: of needle drops in the whole movie.
2: Yes.
3: So like, and this really, it was over sound design
2: to <sighs> the max.
3: The only needle drop I needed was I like big butts, because that joke was good. <laughs> I love the idea that Mr. Wickles is sitting at home listening to I Like Big Butts and I Cannot Lie wait, on also, vinyl. On wait, <laughs> on
1: vinyl? Yeah, on autos. On, on fucking Auto acetate. Wait, yeah. <laughs> on fucking acetate. He had to have that converted. <laughs> Who did he get to make that? <laughs> Jacobo. <laughs>
3: I like my music formats the way I like them.
0: So this
1: actually brings us Wait, we're talking out of we're talking out of order, right? Oh
3: yeah, absolutely. Yes.
1: So Jacobo and uh, 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 Winkle, right? Mr. Wickle. Wickle. Wickles. Can I say that that might have been my favorite part of the movie is the fact that uh, Jacobo getting his perspective on Wickles, like the weird Rashomon that happened? <laughs> he's like you got the lead in My Fair Lady. I was the better Eliza. You were too acty. <laughs> you ate all my tater tots. You said you were puffy. I liked his idea of being like, I was doing you a favor. <laughs> that might have been my favorite part of the whole This movie. actually,
0: this brings us back to Billy's... That felt the most real. This brings us back to Billy's, like, let's talk about the, the supporting guest cast. Because uh, Peter Boyle... Mm-hmm. I loved seeing Peter Boyle pop up in this movie. Loved him. And at no point does he disappoint in this movie. No! no. Old because Man he's is
3: amazing is one of my favorite he's points. He's
0: batshit crazy. I mean, Peter Boyle elevates anything that he's in. But I love, like, I mean, I've heard a lot of people comment on this scene, and rightfully so. When he turns around and goes, oh, Bush is yelling at me again. Like, <laughs> he just sells that line. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, it was great.
0: Yeah. I also thought, like, he's the character who I feel
3: has the most heart in this movie because that genuine moment at the faux ghost, where he's just like, you know, we all have something broken inside of us. Don't get oh, into this life. Like it, it I was but touched then, by it a little bit. But then he snaps. He does but, because okay. you know he's, he's still a flawed character. But, but <laughs> also,
1: writing wise, writing wise, wait, they've ruined his life. They sent him to prison, and then the moment comes where he's like, Wait, you're the, what does he say, runt who ruined my house? Or yeah. whatever he says. Well, and I'm I like, don't think he recognized them as the Scooby what? Gang yet. Also, they're in their 30s by this point. <laughs> Runts? <laughs> Mike, if you were referred to as a runt, would you be like, like, the candy? I don't know what's happening here.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't, know. I don't know how to respond. I know <laughs> you're in your 40s. <laughs> there was a there was the moment with Shaggy. I loved this moment. See, this is one of the things that, as much as we talk about the things that James Gunn maybe did wrong, or was maybe misguided in his approach to these characters, the fact that he refers to Shaggy as that beatnik, like he nails that. Oh yeah,
1: yeah,
3: yeah, and yeah that's right. I love that. Mayner G. The Krebs that that was in
0: there, and I think that was a James Gunn thing.
3: Peter Boyle actually improvised
1: all of his lines. <laughs> so
0: fuck James Gunn. <laughs> <They're> fucking dipshit. <laughs> is there any other? Uh, is there any other guest cast that you want to talk about, Billy? Well, I, I want to talk about Seth Green. Because, I mean, Seth Green, he's Seth Green. He's
3: putting in Seth Green's performance. But
1: as, All right, just as really quickly, I want to make sure that the viewers know that you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I think it's, I think it's a pretty good show. I don't know if I'd say love in that way. No, you love Do it. You? I just want them to know that. Know so as him? we go into the Seth Green commentary, okay. they're going to know that you're seeing him as, you know, Willow's boyfriend and all okay. that's going to go into it.
3: I think he's inhabiting... Please continue. Please continue. Thank you. you. I feel like that was a bit of an off-track. but I just want them to know what's informing this. It's not like a deep,
0: abiding love. Please go. Like a love for a child or a love for a spouse. It's more of a lust. It's like the love of of a man and a fine cigar. Uh,
3: (laughs) So so Seth Green's character, he has this scene with uh, Shaggy and Scooby where it's meant to make us think that he's the villain. Where he's God, just like, that scene. he's yelling, he's laying into uh, these these two henchmen employees of his. Then he turns around, and he's like, no, Shaggy and Scooby, you didn't see anything weird. And then kind of spooks them a little bit, messing with them. Yeah. Holy shit. Even though he's not the monster, Velma should not be with this man, who is definitely going to gaslight and abuse her as time goes on.
1: What was uh?
0: What was Shaggy's line? We're gonna make like your personality and see yes. <laughs> Yeah.
1: But also, he had a line later on where he was like, "We saw both sides of whatever," mm-hmm. and there was a shitty line there. It was great. I loved it.
0: I think there was more Seth Green in another version of this movie. Uh,
1: I really. Do. I just saw my note, which says "bad misdirect." <laughs> Also, like, if you're looking at it as, you know, as a story with characters, the fact that Velma
3: ends up with this man, I was very disturbed by at the end of this film.
1: Oh, uh, here's here's it in sequence. This is how I got to bad misdirect uh, for Seth Green. I do get a too much sound design note. And then, uh, so they run out onto this bridge where Fred has previously broken the bridge, right? Yes. Right. And so Velma runs out, chased by Seth Green, and falls through. This is in the Monster Hive. Yeah, this is in the Monster Hive. And uh, she falls through, and then uh, much in uh, the tradition of uh, James Bond Goldeneye, we get a random upskirt shot, which was... Maybe the most jarring thing I've ever seen in Scooby Doo ever.
0: Actually, there's another upskirt with. Uh, we just see right up until the there's another full upskirt rush Delta. with Daphne when she is. Again, I didn't see it in high def, so maybe you saw more than I did. <laughs> but when Daphne is crawling from the back of the Mystery Machine up to the passenger seat, she's wearing a skirt, mm-hmm. and she just kind of like oh crawls yeah. up there, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was rough
1: as hell but anyway so we get this thing and uh what does your heart say these are my notes quote what does your heart say end quote who the fuck earned this (laughs) million question marks (laughs) I wrote a million question marks like I think there was more story there
0: that we didn't see I, I
1: I I think that that should have been earned and uh yeah I think that you're right there's something missing
0: I'm pretty sure, considering the way Warner Brothers probably viewed this property, especially at the time the original movie came out, like, the original movie is something like 86 minutes long. Like, I think they Mm -hmm. were really just make this to, like, the razor's edge of acceptable for theatrical release as far as running time. And
1: I miss the 72 minutes of direct-to-video releases.
0: And, you know, have it play as many times as possible and make as much money as possible. And this one is, like, Mm -hmm. 92 minutes, I think. Mm-hmm. But I think the philosophy is still there. And I think... I, I feel in my bones that Gunn probably did develop the story and the characters a little bit more. I'm not saying it's Shakespeare. I'm not saying, you know, this is like a Robert Town, Chinatown Scooby-Doo <laughs> sort of thing. It's...
1: Is that because he wrote Tromeo and Juliet?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's good. That's a nice connective tissue thing. Uh, I just... I think that Gunn is a better writer than what some of the gaps in this movie portray.
3: I I can see that. I can see that being a studio thing of like, all right, make sure that you have a chase sequence every five minutes, and they should be able to walk into this uh, forty minutes in and still understand the plot.
1: God, uh, have you seen that uh, the uh, Joe Barbera interview? I haven't. Although after I
3: saw your podcast on it, I'm like, oh, I should check that out. I checked some of it out. Yeah, because
1: he keep saying over and over again like chases like chases are a thing like at one point he talks about that he hired a writer from the honeymooners Mm -hmm. and he's like bye he was fucking terrible like he he didn't know how to write chases (laughs) and I'm like (laughs) well start thinking about it because this is the dude who won an academy award for Tom and Jerry I've actually... really I mean, a, a chase race requires an
3: understanding of geography
0: and, and like, drama. obstacle and solution. Drama, baby. It's not yeah. saying that the Honeymooners guy, like, I don't know what the name of the guy is, but it's not saying that he was a bad writer. Yeah, I'm
1: sure he was a great but writer. But the,
0: the specific Couldn't needs, write chases. The specific needs of the animated shows that they were producing, this came up in my conversation with Dwayne Poole, where he was saying the live-action writers, they struggled because they're so used to characters talking. And it's like, yeah. no, this is way more visual. You have to write to the visual. You have to write like directional. Everything moves right to left or left to right. Everything mm. operates on a flat plane. It was a, a very disciplined way of telling a story. A very specific way of telling a story. And they had very specific needs that really talented writers couldn't wrap their heads around because they just didn't get the limitations of the, the medium that they were working
1: in. Well, and the same thing with actors, right? I mean, they mm-hmm. talk about that all the time with uh, with uh, people who, are, uh, who do a lot more uh, voiceover work. Uh, you know, I mean, you can't hint at anything. There's no subtlety yeah, yeah. in your facial features. You need to be like, I'm mad! How do you portray that without being like, oh, my eyebrows go down? <laughs>
3: Exactly, it's a it's a it's a very specific set of skills.
2: Yeah,
1: uh, much like uh, 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 <laughs> I've got a very specific set of skills. <laughs> I will find you, <laughs> Liam Neeson.
3: I will chase you. <laughs> and you know, I was going around Ireland looking for. We're carrying a rock, looking for <laughs> voice acting gigs.
2: I feel that joke
0: deserved <laughs> a much better laugh than it got. <laughs> I will find you, and I will chase you. <laughs> <laughs> it was subtle. Oh, I a very it was specific subtle. set of skills. I will find you, I will chase you. <laughs> I earned that one. <laughs> yes!
1: Uh, there were, uh, I will say, to James Gunn's credit, there were some of
0: my favorite fart jokes of all time in
1: this movie. <laughs>
0: Oh my god, the best! I guess Velma with the leather suit, that was an ad-lib where she was like, I swear it was... That was...
1: Yeah, that one was was fine.
3: I thought that was like the entire reason to put her in the suit.
0: I thought it was too, so um, that might be a little he said, she said, but...
1: Uh, I'm gonna say, uh, any time Scooby did a fart joke, it was unbelievable. Like the thing with Captain Cutler, where he's just (laughs) farting? But it was earned. It was fucking earned. Because he was like, he was like, he was like, oh, he gets nervous and he farts. And then he's just fucking holding Scooby's ass to fucking the Minor 49er who breathes fire all of a sudden yeah, for that, no fucking yes. reason. And he's just fucking holding his ass
3: to him. That was great. Even the makers of this film looked at Minor 49er and went.
1: Why are they scared of him?
0: <laughs> because he's fucking 7 feet tall.
1: <laughs> Granted he was wearing
0: stilts. I'm going to I'm going to disagree with you about the farting. I agree with you that on a narrative level it was earned, but there's mm. just so many fart jokes in this movie, especially compared to the previous. Like at least in the previous one they just got it all done with that in that one scene. In
3: one scene that you could mm. cut from an airing if you wanted to.
0: But, I don't know, there's something... I don't understand... I don't know any kids who love fart jokes. <laughs> it's,
1: more it. <laughs> <laughs> it's more for adults. It's more for adults. Let me tell you it's something. for a,
0: a demographic with a very specific set of skills.
1: Yeah. As a construction worker, fart jokes are hilarious. <laughs> I spend most of my day with a group of dudes <laughs> farting.
0: Well, you think that... Anybody that's near like an acetylene torch would probably find parts of it.
1: It's great.
2: <laughs>
0: uh, this movie, the original film was shot in Australia, mm-hmm. sunny, beautiful Australia, and this one mm-hmm. they shot in Vancouver, so it provided a slightly different environment to shoot in, apparently a, s- a much colder environment to shoot in, Sarah Michelle Geller complained about it relentlessly.
1: Also, opposite coast from typical, right? Typically it would be Toronto, right? No, Vancouver gets a lot of work like that. No yeah. shit. Because uh, yeah. I feel like New York especially...
3: No, Va- they... Vancouver, like Vancouver is like all X-Files, Supernatural, so it still has that vibe.
0: Toronto and Montreal I... have picked up some of the slack because Vancouver just got too busy and was overshot by the mid-2000s. But yeah, like that, late 80s to early 2000s, that there was a decade of Vancouver just being the hotspot. Hmm. And it's interesting you brought up X-Files, Billy, because uh, that was one of the things that I was going to mention. The The silver mine was famously used in the, I believe it was the Season 3 opener, or s- for the X-Files. It's like a mine.
3: Where, where Mulder and Scully fought the Miner 49 Exactly. Exactly.
1: <laughs> and...
0: And and he anally probed them (laughs) with his pickaxe. No, it it sort of took me out of the movie. Mulder, there's no way that
1: a a miner has lived this long, Mulder. is
0: Christopher Walken Mulder's partner
1: (laughs) in this scene? I'm doing the Eddie Izzard version.
0: It kind of took me out of the movie a little bit to see something that was used so often in various other sci-fi shows and stuff, most prominently in the X-Files. But on the flip side, one of the bonuses was seeing some of the smaller guest actors that showed up in a lot of shows that were done in Vancouver. Particularly, I don't know if you knew, the uh, Aggie Wilkes was Karen Connival, Billy.
3: Yes. And she she is fantastic. I'm a huge fan of her work, um, particularly in the Planet of the Apes franchise, uh, in which she plays Maurice.
0: And she's done like several X Files episodes to great acclaim. Yeah, but that was the first thing I thought of when I saw her. I was like, Hey, it's Karen Carnival. Gotta, gotta throw <laughs> that out to Billy. <laughs> Kevin Durant. Do you guys know Kevin Durant? He played uh, Dang, he, he played familiar. the Blob in. X-Men Origins Wolverine, he played... Yes. He played yes. Fett, Vasily Fett, in the Strain TV show. He was in Lost
3: as Kearney, I want to say. Okay, that's probably where okay, I Okay, he was from. also
0: in the Ridley Scott Robin Hood movie.
3: He was... Ridley. He was the Black Knight. What? Oh, no shit. Sure. Yeah. Oh. He was the toxic masculinity that Fred had to defeat at the end of the film. Yeah.
1: Here's the other thing. I hated the fact that his eyebrows looked like uh like uh, Jack Nicholson on acid. Like, th- there was just a weird eyebrow thing with that character design where I was like, it's too much.
0: That's actually a perfect example of what I was talking about with how I'm sure the franchise was viewed at the time because nowadays, I think they'd probably ride that line a little tighter in representing the Black Knight ghost or, you know, something from the Scooby lore. Yeah, they'd probably have, like, a suit of armor. Whereas <laughs> watching the special features on the DVD, they were talking about the the little skelly guys, and they were like, yeah, originally we had them as just, like, a big eyeball, but then we thought, wouldn't it be fun if they had mouths and they could, like, express more and do this and do that? And I think the same thing went with the Black Knight, where it was like, they just wanted more expression in the face.
1: Oh, weird, because the, the Skelly guys played for
3: me yeah. 100%. I'm, I'm with you all on the Skelly guys.
0: And I'm sure, you know, it's kind of hit and miss for anybody. I agree that I didn't like the Black Knight with such an expressive face. I think part of what makes the Black Knight interesting is just that steely gaze, you know, the, just the metal faceplate. But I mm. think, you know, listening to the effects people talk about it, where they were just, yeah, we were designing it, we were doing this, and then we thought, well, let's have a little fun with it. And you know that that kind of stuff comes from up top, because someone has to approve it, right? So yeah. it's not just the VFX mm-hmm. people deciding they're going to do something different with the characters. So the producers, the director, like everybody was on board with it, and this stuff just wasn't locked in stone. This isn't the sort of thing that... I think the fandom is such now... I mean, just look at how people flipped out over the 13th Ghost movie. Like. <laughs>
2: <laughs> mm. Tragic. I think
0: they're a lot more branded now than they were at this time. And, and I think the monsters, the 49er with the fire, the zombie with the, the goop spinning, and the 10,000 volt monster kind of doing his own thing, and like they all were interpretations of these old classic monsters. They also went through the, the Randomonium process. So, they're not costumes anymore. They're, like, animated monsters. They're monsters unleashed, yeah,
3: right? Yeah, and I think you can have that cover you.
1: Billy, were you, knowing you, as I do, were you just waiting with bated breath for a really dope-ass motherfucking space kook? <laughs> How can you not have a space kook
0: in a <laughs> that film That is like what this? I was waiting for this entire time! <laughs> Space kook was in the movie, wasn't he?
2: How can you not put him in?
0: There was a clip of space kook, wasn't I don't there? I think so. In the
3: museum? I did not see one. There might have been a costume, but it was... I mean, it was never brought to life. No, no, no. You didn't even get... Like, I i enjoyed how, like, uh, we did see, like, other villains at the bar. Like, they name-checked, like, C.L. Magnus and Aggie Wilkins. Like, oh, okay, those are, those are names that I recognize.
1: Oh, C.L. Magnus, I remember. The
0: bar. Yeah. So... There's a deleted scene. With more Big Brother. (laughs) Not with more Big Brother. But Ah. Shaggy and Scooby come in, and they sell themselves as the pickle brothers. 50% 50 Pickle, 50% Dracula. (laughs) (laughs) And they have a conversation with the, like, Samoan-looking guy, and he reveals to them that he was the cotton candy monster. That they eat later? Yes. He was the original cotton candy monster, and that's why he's at the faux ghost. Mm. Too bad that's not a thing. They replace the pickleacula with the the shizzy McWhatever and the SD McGrizzle, and they take out the exchange that they have with this character, which takes all the connective tissue away from that cotton candy beast.
2: Mm.
1: Albeit, at least you're not like...
0: Hey, remember that
1: guy earlier? Well, he spawned this thing that we're now going to eat.
3: Yeah, I mean, I feel like you didn't really need to explain it. It's like, oh, there's a cotton candy ghost. And, like, sure, that has never appeared this in This is their Doo only before, moment of but... being. <laughs> True. Yeah. I mean, it was, a, it, like, I saw that as a reference to, like, in the opening of Scooby-Doo Where Are You, where Scooby,
1: like, licks his lips of all the cotton candy on the screen. Mm. Yeah. Also, this movie ends the exact same way as Muppets from Space. <laughs> Which came out June five top. years previously. <laughs>
3: and is a better film.
1: Whoa! Shot
2: spider.
1: <laughs> Damn, bro. I
3: I have love and appreciation for Muppets from Space.
1: Fozzie, did you wipe your hands? Did you wash your hands? <laughs> Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> la 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 <laughs> la. As you <go> ginger, okay? <laughs> you smell no, the
0: on Did anybody else catch Fred's use of Velmster in the film? She was wearing a Velmster necklace
3: the whole time. Mm hmm.
0: Because the whole thing, is that what there it was is that big thing... It did say Velmster. ...in the previous film, where it was all about getting the nicknames, right? Using
1: my old nickname to get me to feel like I'm a part of the gang again. God, I love Linda Cardellini. She she really did impress me with
3: what she was able to do with what she was given here. I think of the the four main actors in this movie, she was the one who was really forced Acting to be
1: the, the most. most characteristic.
0: Can we all yeah. just agree that we are all completely in love with Linda Cardellini?
1: <laughs> so, uh, I work with an individual who, uh, Big may or Linda may not... Linda Cardellini. <laughs> now, uh, he, he's a wonderful individual whom I really enjoy working with. There's a weird thing that he may or may not have been in the movie Top Gun... <laughs> And uh, had this whole Hollywood part of his lifestyle So when he texts me With stuff about showbiz I'm always like Oh there's an added level to this (laughs) And so I randomly got a text From him saying What did Linda Cardellini have to do With Scooby Doo (laughs) And I was like well uh, She was Blah 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 And he goes She's my new crush and I was like, you're watching uh, Dead Like Me, aren't you? And he's like, yep. <laughs> She's not in <laughs> Dead
3: Like Me. No, not Dead Like Me, Dead To
1: Me.
0: Yeah, Dead Like Me is the Brian Fuller show with Maddie Patinkin.
1: Oh, I'm thinking of Dead To Me. Yeah, Dead To Me is the new
0: one. Okay. Yes, yes, Linda Carlini is in a new show, yes.
1: Yeah. So that's my story.
0: <laughs> Look, I, I also just want to say,
3: thank God Ruben Stutter is here. Thank you for not dating the movie, and anyway, bringing us a timeless performer like that to end the film in.
2: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, also, let me just uh, pull up my notes really quick about Big Brothers. Uh, <laughs> they were British, Satan-based.
0: apparently. There were two songs at the bottom of the credits of the music credits yeah. that said like "dependent on region" or something like that. So there were two songs that were used in different regions, Ah. like the Swedish artist named, like...
3: So Nick and I might have had different end credits, just like the different Burger King KFC controversy. Great.
0: There you go. You guys might have also had completely different fart jokes. Canadian farts versus...
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, after you get enough poutine... Versus... (laughs) Uh, Poutine versus (laughs) Putin.
0: That just made me
1: think of... Yeah, we do
3: have less of a Putin influence in Canada.
1: Oh, here we go. Here's the note that I feel the most proud of. The bad guy, uh, when he first shows up after seeing Redbeard in the museum, the window blows open by lightning, and then all of a sudden this thing shows up. And I said, oh my god, it's the bad guy from Halloween Town meets Ivanus, meets Nebula from Captain Simeon with the helmet from the leftovers of the nineteen ninety-seven sci-fi Star Kid. <laughs> if you if nobody's seen any of those movies, I am spot fucking on. I you got your Ivanus. <laughs> <laughs> Go look at 1997 Star Kid because it is literally the eyebrow, like the eye holes and the mouth are exactly the same. Uh, Nebula from Captain Simeon. Is a, uh, he was a character played by Michael Dorn uh, Worf from Star Trek and literally the head shape is exactly the same as well as the deep booming voice Ivan is, of course from the uh, Power Rangers movie uh, he had the same kind of just like yeah, I'm a bad guy check me out I'm wearing pinstripes and uh, the bad guy from Halloween Town uh, just watch Halloween Town and tell me I'm wrong <laughs> <laughs> I defy you North
2: America?
1: huh. Uh-huh. Right? That gets us both in here. We're all
0: here. <laughs> I've got two quick things I want to add. One of them. Okay. In the faux ghost, the guy that Scooby spits the pickled egg into his cup. Yes. That's the voice of Scooby. That's a. Uh, on screen, he's the dude. Oh, that's a
3: nice little cameo. Dude, did we not, talk about. Like, not Frank Welker and not no, no, the no. corpse of Don Mezic. It's, uh, neil fanning neil fanning yeah
1: yeah so he incidentally has one of my favorite credits of all time
0: the police academy he yeah you yes, brought this up in the he last episode
1: yes he was the <laughs> stud coordinator for the poli- he was the director for the wb park in australia Uh, Warner Brothers has a theme park in Australia, Mm -hmm. and they had a stunt show for Police Academy, and he was the uh, stunt director for that for like 10 fucking years.
0: Which totally made sense, which is what we said last time as well, because he knew somebody that was working on the set, and they needed somebody to do the voice, Mm -hmm. and he was like, hey, I've got this friend, and they brought him on, and he was the on-set voice of Scooby, and they just decided to keep him as the voice of Scooby.
1: I also feel like he had... Uh, some input into the set design because half of this movie does feel like a stunt show. I <laughs> guess yes, at a that's theme true. park. I feel like they did film this on the like mid '90s Batman stunt <laughs> show that was in Six Flags. You guys might not know this. I was uh, a big uh, Six Flags proponent for I a while. I saw that stage show. I got yes. what you're saying. Yes. And uh incidentally, the woman who originally who played Catwoman in the sixties Batman did play the narrator in that stunt show nice. across six flags across nice. America, North America.
0: Did anybody catch a Frank Welker in this movie? I didn't see him in the credits. I didn't hear any Frank Welker like voices.
1: Well, I'm assuming he was the pterodactyl.
0: <laughs> oh, I never thought of that. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. See That's anything. very possible.
1: Because I didn't see D. Bradley Baker, so I'm assuming <laughs> it was Frank Webber.
3: <laughs> uh, Frank is not on IMDb. D. Bradley Baker was the 10,000 volt ghost, zombie, and red eye skeleton. God though.
2: damn
0: it! <laughs> <laughs> uh, we got to talk costumes at least briefly. Yeah. Yeah. The costumes are slightly altered. I think they're not in Australia. They're in Vancouver, like we said. Uh, Shaggy's got the shirt under the shirt. Sure. Everybody... <laughs> there was one scene where Sarah was a little nipply.
2: <laughs> yes!
0: But, uh, yeah, I think I think the costumes were changed to be a little bit more like the originals, but also to fit the cold weather. And I love the fact... Well, also,
1: much like most of this movie, it was uh, it was trying to ride the line between the originals and updating.
0: And- yeah, exactly. However,
1: they chose to thread those highway cones. And it worked to varying degrees throughout the movie, I would argue.
0: And I loved that scene. I'm not a fan of the, the Velma in the leather suit. I get what it is for yes. the character. But when she when she gives up <laughs> on it and just, like, reaches in and pulls the sweater up, <laughs> I thought <laughs> that, that was, was a great. great moment. It was nice to see that sweater. <laughs> I love the fact that she just did not let go of it. That her. was a wonderful moment. But also, like,
1: it also played into the whole, like, oh, it's starting to smell in here kind of thing, because she's yes, wearing that yes. in there
3: the whole time. <laughs> yeah. There was more costume variation in this movie, I thought, as well. Like, before, I, I feel like in Scooby-Doo 1, they were wearing the whole the same thing the whole time they were on the island, whereas this one, they, they got a couple costume changes.
0: And sometimes between scenes, or or between edits in the same scene, costumes would change. Like, when Fred is talking to Patrick... He's wearing the jacket with the Coolsville 76 t-shirt, and then all of a sudden he's wearing a sweater and talking to Patrick. (laughs) And it's like, when did that happen?
1: That is the most Scooby-Doo
3: thing (laughs) of this entire movie. That That is Scooby-Doo. He needed to lose his legs, and then it would have been
0: perfect. And this reminds me, the thing that I that I dropped, the innocuous thing, at the very, very beginning, mm-hmm. out of all the changes weirdness and weirdness and different versions of this movie that kind of exist, when I went to the theater and I sat in my seat and I was watching this thing up on the big 60-foot screen, when Shaggy and Scooby are doing their, we need to go out and do our detective work, and he pulls the whipped cream can out of the fridge, because he's going to do the, sh- the 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 Scooby thing, the Brabies thing,
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: he gives it a shake, and before he does the whipped cream in scooby's mouth he inhales some of the gas (laughs) he takes a hit off the whipped cream can and then he does the whipped cream in scooby's mouth and when i bought the dvd we sat down to watch it because this would have been whatever like 2004 2005 and that scene goes by and i'm like what where the hell did that go and i thought maybe it'll show up down the road it's gone it's like
1: We're gonna solve a mystery.
2: (laughs) Wah, 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 wah.
0: And weirdly, I mean, as we've said millions (laughs) of times on all of our individual podcasts and in these shows that we do together, we're not fans of the Shaggy as the Stoner. But I just feel robbed of this scene. (laughs) Because it's like... I saw it. You know, this isn't like those stories where people go, "No, oh, I saw Biggs talking to Luke on Tatooine." I saw a screening with that. Didn't exist. This existed. I just want Jabba to be a weird guy in a fur <laughs> vest. So I thought that was interesting. I thought that was something I've never heard anybody else mention that. Yeah. So yeah. I just wanted to get that out into the uh, into the world, out into Thank the you. ether.
1: Thank you. Because I felt like I saw that, even though when I watched it, I was like, he's putting whipped cream into his mouth. Uh, but I'm like, the subtext is they're doing Whippets. I did not see it, but thank you for uh, having that moment.
0: That would explain uh, the dance scene at the end.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Why does this
3: movie just
1: end with a big dance-off? Because Muppets from Outer Space was a huge hit! Or you do you want to capitalize on that? And so is Jay
0: and Silent Bob Strike Back. Come on, it's it's like the movies, the end of Predator, the end of whatever other movies I can't think of, where they always have like the <laughs> shot of the guy, it's not a shot from the movie, turns to the camera and they get their credit. This is just it's the conclusion of the adventure, and it's like this is the cast True. having their bow. That's why you've got Mr. Wickles there. That's why you've got the creepy fans there. That's why you've got all the villains. Everyone's dancing together. Oh, Big Brother, when they were on stage, those dudes were so muscular. I kept waiting for the saxophone player from the Lost Boys to come out and do a solo.
2: <laughs> they are
1: very muscular. Uh, none of the instrumentalists are part of Big Brother. Oh, okay. It's just it's just the three dudes and the three girls. okay.
0: Because, like, the bass player and, like, the other guy on stage... No, they
1: have separate credits, if you look at IMDb. Okay. Okay. Mm
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I went deep. (laughs) I told you. I almost didn't finish this movie. Nick almost didn't come back. (laughs) The first time watching it, because I was like, I was like, I need to find out more about this band. I was like, they wanted Blackstreet. What happened? Where was this? Can I find out why... Who they were trying to get because they got Outcast, uh, Land of a Million Drums. Check out What's with You, Scooby Doo for uh, Billy and I not talking about that music video. <laughs> we tried. Uh, uh, and uh, I was like, "Here we go." They were trying. To, they got Outcast with the soundtrack of the first one. They were going for the next big thing. Who is Big Brother? no answers They were a british band they had two hits they broke up very quickly uh, it was like four dudes and
2: three girls i think some
0: of these songs it was a boy band clearly warner brothers music just being like hey put this in your movie but i think some of the choices were inspired the puffy hi hi puffy amiyumi i thought was great the friends forever i really like the simple plan oh yeah that, that
3: works cuz there's like a
0: kids wb connection that's
3: as well. true
2: wait
0: are we sure
2: that simple plan
0: don't want to think about you right.
3: and right. Uh, right. we know our cancon nick the new radicals (laughs) the official band
2: of canada simple plan
1: (laughs) some 41 got kicked out sorry nickelback got kicked out Uh, i would like this to be on the record i uh i have personally uh said some things about simple plan which may be viewed as less than nice I have heard nothing but amazing things about the dudes from Simple Plan, about their demeanor, about their professionalism, about uh, who they are as people. I have heard that they are the nicest individuals ever. charity work? I just want that to be out there. (laughs) (laughs) Said from my mouth. (laughs) Nick, you and
0: I did the Simple Plan episode, first time I was on your show. And they were
2: horrible
0: in and that episode. And I was hard on it, and I actually I harbor some guilt over that commentary. The, well, they didn't do a good if job! You can ju-
1: if you can just delist that episode <laughs> while Mike's trying to get them on the show. I mean, I, I, I've heard nothing but great things about them. Uh, I will say their acting performances. I've seen less than stellar, and as far as their music is concerned, I really liked uh, I'll Do Anything For You. How about that?
3: Uh, I... Don't think their acting was any worse than other musicians they've had on the show before, and what's new Scooby Doo is probably my favorite Scooby Doo theme song.
1: We're we talking about Jerry Reed. <laughs> Little Mary Sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've always sang, I've only sang for monkeys before, but never frogs.
0: There are some cool <laughs> songs on that album inspired by and featured in the film like Flagpole Citizen there by Harvey Danger, New Radicals is on there. There's a handful of songs on there that're kind of cool. And I was surprised doesn't Can you match name the brilliance of Harvey getting Danger
1: Shaggy. From? for Scooby Doo though. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, so that's all that I got you guys. Has Shaggy ever been
1: featured? Has Shaggy the artist ever been
2: affiliated yeah, first with Scooby Doo?
1: Yeah, in the
3: soundtrack of the Scooby Doo of Scooby Doo the movie. Yeah. For Scooby Doo. Yeah. He's all over that. If you
0: listen to the podcast we did previously, it is shaggy music that I used to lead into our conversation. Hell yeah. Uh,
1: Well, to quote shaggy, uh, if I was to talk about that podcast and my involvement in it, it wasn't me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So that's all that I got, you guys. Uh, Does anybody want to add anything, or is that pretty much our conversation on uh, 15 years of Monsters Unleashed?
1: Um, Listen to Scooby-Doo, Scooby-Dones.
0: I
3: thank you, I appreciate that I would uh, second that opinion and I would also say I, <laughs> listen to What's With You Scooby-Doo <laughs> listen to that show sorry, I had another point I was about to bring up so that you put pressure on me to also endorse yours <laughs> um, I just want to say I do think sort of Daphne in this film says a line and I think it sort of sums up this film's uh, message and that is Image is everything. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think this movie, very much in the creating of it, thought about that in the in the superficial, how things are going to look versus perhaps what's underneath. Form dictates content.
0: I dig this movie. I still, I stand by it 15 years later. that's yeah. a, it's, a, it's a controversial opinion. I, I think it's fun. I think it's fun. Yeah, it's playful. No. <laughs> it's adventurous. It's Laurie. It's, um... I don't know, it feels more Scooby-Doo to me than the first movie. I stand by it. Hmm. Hmm.
1: I I don't think it feels more Scooby-Doo than the first movie, but uh, I would say that it's definitely fun. Uh, I think it holds a couple more Easter eggs than the first one. I think it tries harder story-wise, and that's... uh, That is why you fail. (laughs) Uh, That's why it fails harder, because it takes more risks. But I would also say that uh, to a certain extent that those are the things that I enjoy is the couple moments where those risks pay off, which is uh, Scooby turning into Einstein. Oh, man! Or, uh, that Tasmanian
0: uh, Devil scene? Scooby was originally supposed to turn into the 2D Hanna-Barbera animated Scooby. No and shit! That, that would have been the amazing. The filmmakers better. chose... <laughs> They didn't want to yeah. make you compare the CG-animated Scooby with the 2D-animated Scooby, much like in the first film, where they animated that entire opening title sequence that they pulled. So they made him the Tasmanian mm. Devil instead. What a ripoff! I would have loved to have seen a 2D Scooby there. just Just for a moment. I would have at least liked,
3: I think when Scooby became Einstein, give us
1: Frank for that. I would like, if I may, To take you on a strange journey.
0: That's such an obvious uh, difference, though, between, like, feature and television and animation, because when you're doing the features, you just don't even think of the other... Like, there's... It's not what's going on with Scoob right now, right? It's like you don't think of the people.
1: I feel like that was more of a, 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 um, zeitgeist thing at the time though, because I felt the same way about the goddamn uh, X Men movies, where it was like the, uh, and I said this previously, the uh, uh, yellow spandex joke where it was like oh what would you rather i be in yellow spandex and uh billy and i both said yes yeah <laughs> that is what we watch when we watch x-men that's what we want
3: <laughs> and, would you that, rather
0: like, i represent the source material
3: <laughs> but it's like and that's that can't exist in like,
0: movies
3: i really liked when fred was like you know what i'm gonna put on an ascot for this and uh, okay. I wish he had tied it properly, but I like <laughs> the idea that, th- that that moment was there.
1: They and just dis- off yeah. inch Yes, but despite, like, uh, however much I uh, find Zack Snyder to be distasteful, uh, th- what he gave us was the permission in movies to actually go to the source material and be like, it's okay to show a, a big-screen adaptation of a source material, to be fetishistic about these details and these visuals, and and show, you know, what people loved about it in the first place.
0: Do you guys remember in the Scooby-Doo conversation that we had where we were talking about the Damon Ritus and uh, how the claw thing at the beginning ended up referencing the claw thing at the end? And that was something that Nick was actually trying to... Like plant and goat out of Billy and myself, and then he's like, "Yes, that's what I wanted to hear." It <laughs> as I'm watching this movie, and they have the gang playing frisbee when they're kids, and then it comes to the control panel at the end, which is basically a frisbee. I'm like, "Where's Nick?"
1: Playing the frisbee Nick thing, here. yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a little too obvious. To me. <laughs> oh, if only everything could be so simple as it was back then. <laughs> Ah, <sighs> quick, throw me the thing!
3: <laughs> if Should he just, like, play the exact same music over top of it as well? And they all revert back to their teenage selves yeah. as they're throwing it? Oh, my God. So, uh, speaking of teenage selves, I guess uh, we'll be reuniting for the anniversary of Scooby-Doo, the Mystery Begins <laughs> next.
1: <laughs> Once again, another <laughs> first for me.
0: Uh... Yeah, I'm game. I'm definitely game, but I, I don't know what the year on that is. Is there a
1: direct to video before that? Can we can we get a little <laughs> palate cleanser? Like, please tell me, like uh, Monster of Mexico is before that. I
0: actually, I would like to visit one very good film, which is the Josie and the Pussycats film, and one very bad film, which is the Yogi Bear film, as part of my broader Hanna Barbera scope. These are these are movies that I would like to visit. I just don't know how and what format to kind of use.
1: I mean, if this is still on the podcast and on the record, yeah. I mean, if you want to talk about the Josie and the Pussycats film, I was I was a huge uh, Blink-182 fan. Uh, pop Punk was my bread and putter, and that movie came out, and I was like, yeah, these three little words will come undone.
0: I love that movie. I'm a huge fan of that movie. I don't think it gets the props that it deserves.
1: Alan Cummings in both that and Spice World as fundamentally the same character. And
0: that movie did have an impact on the Scooby-Doo franchise because they went PG-13 and they pushed it Mm. into a slightly more satirical, comedic, mature vein without completely losing sort of the the youth appeal, but that movie failed, so they course-corrected on Scooby-Doo and changed some shit. So I feel like it's a legit... It's a Hanna-Barbera property, it had an effect on the Scooby-Doo movies, and it's just a good movie. So, I'm I'm down if you guys are down, or if anybody's... Right. We'll see you for the 17th <laughs> anniversary It, <of> it doesn't <laughs> have to be... Josie
1: and the Pussycats. An uh,
0: Alright, so, obviously, Billy, we all have podcasts. Where can we find yes. you online?
3: We do. Um, so, uh, for the audience, you can find me at Scooby-Doo's or Scooby-Don'ts with Amelia Wellman. You know how to find podcasts by now, listeners.
0: And Nick, where can people find you? <laughs> Stitcher IR Radio, YouTube, You got iTunes, Googles?
1: You got Googles, don't you? Google you, idiots? <laughs> I, we, dare, you I dare I dare you to Google are, Nick are, Robes. If you look for a podcast. I dare you to Google image search <laughs> Nick Robes and see what pops up. Cause you're gonna get some dope ass kimonos. <laughs> tell you that right now. <laughs> uh, no, what's do you with you? Get any uh, podcasts? Do I, I? I have what's with you? Scooby Doo uh, live. You can find me. Um, uh, you, if you head to uh, nickroves.com uh, whatever my live dates are, uh, whenever I feel like updating that.
0: And what do you do live, Nick? Uh,
1: I am a uh, stand-up comedian as well as a host of a uh, show called Nightcap in Portland, Maine. Co-host with my best friend, Chris Rollins, and uh, it's the most ridiculous uh, uh, variety show uh, ever conceived of on local circus.
0: It's funny, you know, chatting with you. You'd never tell you were a stand-up comedian. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> you
0: don't let anyone else
1: speak as well as, you're completely domineering, almost like you're holding a microphone in front of a
0: brick wall. Uh, and Mike, uh, where might we find you? Uh, well, if you're not a, a native of a podcast named Scooby-Doo listener, you can find me on all the social medias and podcasts, uh, podcatchers and pod delivery systems. Uh, as Nick would say, we're all great pods or cast. Basically, you know, it's a Scooby-Doo podcast for all uh, ages and intensities, and ultimately, I'm just putting together, like, an oral history of the franchise, talking to people who've worked on the show, worked on the books, worked on different iterations. Interviews! It's an interview show!
1: On the continuum, if you are interested in Scooby-Doo, I would say that uh, listening to our podcasts, it is, from Scooby-Doo to least, it would be Mike, Billy, Uh me. (laughs)
3: Yeah, I mean, I I like the fact that we all inhabit different niches. You know, like, Mike is looking at the people who have worked on Scooby-Doo, Amelia and I are looking at, you know, the episodes themselves, and Nick is looking at the people
0: who watch Scooby-Doo. There's Billy bringing up the watching chronologically again. (laughs) (laughs) Like, if you you had to watch
1: the 80s without a break... (laughs) What would, how would your mind leave, crumble? Now. I also, uh, I always say uh, uh, anytime that I go on Twitter and I interact with any of the uh, Scooby-Doo podcasts, I'm like you know, fucking Game of Thrones podcasts don't have this much fun. <laughs> like there is the most like fun bunch of dorks <laughs> it's a great bunch of people I, I think the scooby-Doo podcasting community it, it might be the best yeah. ever well, uh, you know, uh, scooby dudes uh, 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 mystery there's another mystery Melling one
3: kids
1: uh groovy scooby cast
3: right, um guys I'm gonna I gotta hop off here uh, perhaps once we are all unmasked and unleashed we will uh, reveal our true selves.
0: Have you heard the good news? There's cookies.
1: <laughs> I'll see you guys. Oh, uh, this was a blast, man. I had, a, I had an absolute great time. All right. Have a good one, man. We will talk
0: to you later. Bye, man.